When you hear the word sin, what does that mean to you? Separation from God. Lost. What's that? Here I go again, all right. What's that? Disobedience, okay. We all do it. We all do it, okay? All right, very good. What else? What else? When you, when you hear the word sin, what? Does it feel like, like if someone said to you, came up to you and said, you're a sinner, how does that make you feel? Four fingers pointing back at you. Four fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> okay? All right. Synonymous with failure. Okay, that somehow sin means I've screwed up. I shouldn't have, I should, I should have done something differently. Okay? But sometimes when you're feeling defensive about it, I think you feel judged. Okay, so you feel judged if you say, well, okay, I'm a sinner. All right. What else? What other things? Mixed up priorities. Mixed up priorities, okay? Sense of omission. Okay, so a sense of omission, because so there's there could be sins of commission, right? That we, we do things that we know we shouldn't do. Sense of omission is we don't do the things that we should do, right? So so we do things we shouldn't do. We don't do things that we should do. That should word is a, it's a big one in our culture, um, and often in Christianity, unfortunately. What else? What else? What other what other things about sin? Just as you, what's that? Doing something bad. Doing something bad. Has it been? Has, has, has in, in your? I mean, many of you are, are, are have been churched off and on in your in your life, or or all the way through your life. Has is sin? Has sin been a useful word for you? Yes or no? No, it hasn't been useful. It can motivate you to be better. Yeah. Motivate you to be better. Could, can you jump into that just a little bit more for me how, how does sin motivate you to be better or the word sin motivate you to be better well if you think that I'm a sinner then you think that or that I've committed a sin then I shouldn't do that again so kind of motivates you to you know try harder to not do it okay like, am I ever going to get this right? What's that? Am I ever going to get this right? Am I ever going to get this right? You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. So, 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 the, so for you, talking about sin gets linked to forgiveness. Okay? Sin is perspective. It just reminds us all that we're imperfect creatures and we have something to strive toward, that we are going to make mistakes. But there's some grace and beauty in that, that we have lessons to learn from all of that. Okay, so it's perspective. There's so that we sort of a recognition of our of our of brokenness or of whatever or where we're not right, where we've missed the mark. Okay? Because it's so pervasive, conscious and unconscious, uh, it's something that you just can't deal with yourself. Like it, recognizing yourself as a sinner is recognizing your need for God. Okay, recognizing yourself as a sinner is recognizing your need for God. Man, you they they have trained you well. I'm telling you, these Lutherans. No, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> I think culturally that Christianity is turned as as a whole, in, in, in the big picture, has turned it 
so that that word and their use of that word in, in many arenas has caused the people that we're trying to get to to just completely shut off from even entertaining the concept of sitting in this room um, because of the should. Okay, so so you've seen that using that as as Christians have used that word, especially as it relates to people maybe outside of the church, that it's been it's been more divisive. It hasn't been a helpful word because it sounds like we're we're just saying, you know, you're you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, and so and 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 we're good. So come and join us. It's, yeah, it's, it's like Mike paraphrasing the cart before the horse. You know taking your driver's test before you've even seen the inside of a car. You can't... Mm, okay. You can't do that with... You, you can't throw that at people without some background information because that just... I'm not getting it. I'm not taking a test. Wait, are you crazy? All right, okay. Inside that. It also makes it hopeless and... Gives you hope and hopelessness. Okay, so so sin can sort of, could drive you to some hopelessness. Yeah. Okay. Like you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Not that I sin very often, but um, you know, if you, I say, okay, Lord, please tell me this one thing that before you know it, the first thing I've done is that one thing I said I wasn't going to do. Okay. Doing that beat up. All right. You realize that there's a hope because God always does forgive you if you honestly mean. So there's a hopelessness. Okay, so. So, like, you say, God, help me with this thing, and then I go off and I do the thing that I wasn't going to do, right? We're actually, uh, Paul writes about this in Romans. I think it's next week we're going to be talking about this very thing, about our actions, about our actions being transformed in, in, in Christ. So it's interesting because, because you're right, Paul, in, in many ways, the, the Christianity, as it, as it became Christianity and moved away from, from being um, the way and, 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 and followers of Jesus, uh, and became in, more institutionalized, and as they began to put structure around the theology, and they had to figure out, you know, sort of who's out and who's in, and as they began to to read the scriptures, once the scriptures be, became more solidified, um, many parts of of Christianity, and then especially at, even um, you know, during and and after the Protestant Reformation, got very focused on. Um, Genesis chapter 3. Does anybody know what's in Genesis chapter 3? It's Adam and Eve. Right? It's called the fall, though it's never called that in Scripture. I think that's so interesting. We call it the fall. That somehow we were at this lofty place, and because of, and, and this is what Paul says, Paul says, because of Adam's disobedience, you know, usually it's Eve that gets the shaft in that story, right? I mean, usually we blame it on the woman. Always pay attention. But in Paul, Paul says it's because of Adam's disobedience that sin came to all people. Because of Adam's disobedience that sin came to all people. So it is a word about us. But for many, for many, for many Christian denominations, Christian churches, preachers, you know. Um, Jonathan Edwards writes, sinners in the hand of an angry God. That was part of the great awakening, was his, his preaching on that and doing that. And that was bringing people because they were confessing their sins and beating their breasts and, you know, coming back to God. And we have no idea why that really happened. 
why there was this great awakening at that time. Um, but there, there was a break with things. But, but what's, what's, what's fascinating to me is that for people who focus on Genesis chapter 3, they almost completely forget about Genesis chapter 1. What's in Genesis chapter 1? Creation. creation. And, what is, and what does God say about creation? It's good. What does God say? What does God do when God's creating Adam, the first mud person? What 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 does God say? It's good. And and how when God creates that that mud person in what? In the likeness of God, in the image of God. In in the Psalms we have that, you know, who are you, O mortal, that God made you just a little lower than the angels and entrusted you with all of this? We, we forget, we forget that the first word about us, the first word about us is that we were made in the image of God. That creation was good. Now, the second word about us is, is that we're also broken. We're also broken. We, 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 just, we do stuff that we don't want to do. We, we act in ways um, that are very selfish and in our, own, in our own interest a lot of times. Or sometimes we will do things that aren't in our own interests. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll act against ourselves and hurt ourselves even more. And that's where this word, and I, and I love it, um, in Rob Bell's new book um, about the Bible... He has, a, he has a section about sin, and he talks about it in relationship to shalom. And shalom, um, you, you know, the Hebrew word is, we sort of roughly translate it peace, but it really is about wholeness. It's really about everything being as it should be. You know, because when something is broken, it's not whole anymore. But when it's complete, when it's whole, you just know, you just, you just sense it. Um, it's not necessarily perfect, but it's whole, W-H-O-L-E. It's completely together and as it should be. And so, and so uh, Rob Bell talks about how, writes about how sin is anything that, that takes us away from the wholeness that God would, would have for us. The wholeness that God wants for God's creation. And and I think when it's, when, it's, when it's put to us that way, rather than you're breaking some law of God... God is angry with you. God is going to smite you if you don't get your stuff together. Quit sinning. At least for me, I feel like I feel like I can that opens me up to think about shalom and wholeness and wanting to be someone in following Jesus who promoted that shalom, who promoted that wholeness in all people, who who brought people together, who who, who, who walked with prostitutes and tax collectors, the sinners of the day, those who were seen as outside of the righteousness of God, Jesus went to them and was with them, trying to bring that all back together in a wholeness and a completeness. That sin is something real. We, I think, whether we like the word or not, it's a pretty useful word. Because it, it does say, it does... Um, it does speak something true about what is going on um, in and among us. And we have to remember that the final word 
about us is not that we are sinners only. I mean, actually, there's, there's more talk of humanity and, of, and of, of the followers of Jesus being saints than there is of them being sinners. And Martin Luther, of course, um, in the Protestant Reformation, he, he basically said, he said this, he said, simul justus et peccator, which I believe is Latin, and that is simultaneously a sinner and a saint. That there's this weird thing about us that in Christ, we're both and. And that's where most of us get all messed up because we want to be, we, we, we like one or zero. We like black or white. We don't like gray and we don't like paradox, but that's exactly what it is. We're, we're, a, you know, we're a paradox. We're both saint and sinner wrapped up in the same flesh. And, and God says that that's good in some strange way because Christ has redeemed all of it in that mystery that is the resurrection, that Christ has redeemed it. And that's the other thing that, that I love about what Rob Bell says in this chapter on sin is, is he says, the only sin that's talked about in the Bible is the sin that God has redeemed in Jesus. The only sin that's talked about in the Bible is the sin that is redeemed in Jesus. Now, does that change it for you a little bit? Does that make it a little bit different in your mind as you think about who you are and maybe, maybe how sin has been related to you, about maybe how you were invited into church at some point in time? I, mean, I remember when, when Jennifer and I were in college, there was a, a, group of, a group of college students, and I've related this story, many people nod their heads, you know, that... They were gonna. They were. They were gonna. They were save, out there saving souls. And so what they did is they just when they were having Bible study that night, they just went and grabbed people out of their dorm rooms. I mean, they were they were forcing people <laughs> physically to go to Bible study. Well, I mean, I don't know how many. I've never heard of anybody's story where they're like, "Well, I got forced to go to Bible study, and I became a Christian that night. It's been the best thing that ever happened to me." <laughs> you know, I've never. I've not heard that story. Usually, the story I hear is is somebody, you know. Somebody met me in my time of need and talked to me and walked with me and shared with me what their faith means to them and how it had brought them to a new understanding of what it means to be a human being and how to live into that new life. It's much more of a a community-based thing that we invite people into the journey first and allow them to hear what it is that God has to say about them, both the sinner and the saint. Both the sinner and the saint. Because we are both. So now I want to read, I want to read that Romans passage, Sherry. And this is Romans... Um, oops, that's next week. Yeah, that's okay. I got it right here. If you got your Bible or your iPad or, or whatever with you, this is Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 23. Uh, we've, been, we've been walking through uh, the book of Romans here for the summer, and so um, we're sort of getting in the middle of things. And, and, like, and like I've said, if you want to try to begin to understand Romans, you've got to begin reading it in its entirety, because it is, it is a letter. It is a letter, and it is a long letter, and it is a complicated letter. So when we jump in here, it can get a little complicated. But so, 
So he's been talking about, like in, the, in, in early in chapter 6, he's been talking about how, we, how things have been changed, transformed from death to life. And so he, there, then he says in, in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And I think in some of this, some of this part of this where he's talking about don't present your members. He, he's, he's almost literally talking about your parts. Because in, in that time in history, they're, they're, they, would, they would often um, do sexual acts as part of religiosity. And so there is part of that where he's saying, that's, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't use your body in this way. Don't, don't go to the temple prostitutes anymore. And I think that's part of what he's saying. There's also, a, there's also some pieces in here where, where, the, where the translation could be about, um, you know, people, unlike in America, which is an amazing thing, um, you know, we have, we have such freedom. We don't have... We don't have soldiers walking around our streets all the time. In Rome, in, in Roman-occupied territory, you had, you had soldiers in full-on soldier garb walking up and down the street. And so everybody knew about their breastplates and, and the things they wore on, on their body. And, and so he's also talking about you know, um, um, those, those um, instruments of righteousness he, it could be translated as some of those things that you, that you wear to protect yourself. That the instruments of righteousness are things that you protect your body with. hope that makes some sense. Um, and then later, um, he, he, uh, later in one of his letters, he talked about putting on the full armor of God, if you've ever heard that. And I, I think that's, that's part of this. But, but he says, don't let, don't let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies anymore. That, that word dominion, don't, don't let it rule over you. I'm going to go on here to, to verse 15. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Again, I, he, it just, it's interesting that he, he has this thing that, that as, as soon as he starts talking about grace, that I think he believes we're just going to go off and do whatever we want because we're like, well, it doesn't matter. And if you, and if you hear preachers preaching about grace who really preach about grace, it can sort of feel that way. Like, like well, we just have freedom in Christ. We can go do whatever and God's going to forgive it. Well, as I talked about last week, when you, have, when you find that freedom in Christ, you, you want to go live the way God wants you to live. You want to go enter into that wholeness. You, you want to be a part of that wholeness. You want to see if you can, can, can partner with God in bringing that wholeness about in your communities and, and in your country and in your world. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Ruth Ann, here's your, here's your uh, sin and obedience, right? Sin versus disobedience versus obedience. But here's the word slaves, which, which is, you know, has a lot of, is a, sort of a powder keg in our time, of course. And, and, and in that period of time, many people were born into slavery, um, in, some, in some ways it was a similar slavery to what we had in America. In some ways it was a different slavery. But they saw slaves around all the time too. So he's trying to use something that they would understand. That if you were a slave, you were under the dominion of that person. 
whoever they were, whoever owned you or whoever you're whatever, that you were under the dominion of that person. Your obedience was owed to them and there was no way out. And that's what he's saying here. So he said, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey. So you can either be obedient to, to sin, which leads to death, or you can be obedient, um, or, you can, or you can be um, under the dominion of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God for you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you have been entrusted. And that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So now the obedience is owed to righteousness, not to sin. That's what, what doesn't sound good to you? Right, and I think, and I think for me, how I want to twist twist the word, how I want to how I want to twist our understanding of, of what he's trying to say, because it is a strong word for us, and, and it registers a lot of um, a lot of that. Is that I want to I want to think about it, and I just lost the word. Um, allegiance. Allegiance to righteousness rather than slavery to righteousness. I mean, in our country, right, we, we, get, we get all upset about when we, when we don't pledge allegiance, right? Yeah. So, but it is, but it is a recognition of, and what were you saying before, Katie, about, about, sort of our priorities, but our right relationship with God. That being humble is understanding that we're, what, what God's right relationship is with us. And that and that, that then, that changes our, our understanding. It transforms our understanding of sin. Anyway, so he goes on, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So I think he's making these references to slavery and to, and to all of this to try to get them to understand. And, and of course, Paul is very difficult to understand no matter what you do, um, just so you know. Um, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. Or give your, give your allegiance to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. This is one where I, I sort of lose him here, okay? So I'm just going to be honest. So what advantage did you get um, from the things of which you are now ashamed? That is an interesting question. Think about, think about folks who, who, um, who become enslaved to an addiction. Become enslaved to something that is not good for them. And we would call that sin. We would call that brokenness, Right? What advantage did they get from all of that? Nothing. They got a lot of pain, probably a lot of broken relationships. I think that's sort of what Paul's trying to say here, is that when, when, you, um, when you were slaves of sin, when you were addicted to sin, if we want to go, go that way to it, um, but, and the end of those things is death. But now you have been freed from sin and enslaved or you have given your allegiance to God. I like that language better just because we, slavery to us is just, and that enslavement. And, uh, yeah, please, go ahead. We are a citizen of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were created, as you explained, we are, we, we've been coming in the image of the Father. 
So instead of giving allegiance to the flag, because we are actually spiritually allegiance to uh, citizens of heaven, we give allegiance to the Father. We are yet human nature and divine nature at the same time. We have been born into a sinful world. So naturally, our human nature is going to crave to do sinful things. But this Bible here is to teach us how to live in a divinely ordered, spiritually ordered, which shows us how to live in this nature that we are living in. So yes, of course, the enemy is the prince of the air, which talks to us daily on how to sin because we are human. We are in this sinful world. But at the same time, God has given us his word. And Paul talked about your sinful nature and your, and your human nature. Your human nature is the same. Your divine nature and your spiritual nature are different. So we have to feed more of our spiritual nature with this. There's no sense in living here on earth trying to be spiritual and you never feed yourself the spiritual food. And so you're constantly uh, perceiving to life issues itself according to how you feel because the enemy tampers with your five physical senses. And so you're going to go according to what you feel instead of according to what you know, which is the word of God. And so you're no longer living the sinful nature. That slave part is, is, is really exactly what it says. You can't sugarcoat it. You're in, you're in a human nature. You're going to keep doing the sinful things that the enemy wants you to do. But God sends us his words for us to not be in a slave for sin, but yet to be a slave for righteousness. Righteousness is a lifestyle. You can't just say, Lord, I give you my life and now I'm holy. No, you have to be loving. Loving is the, the, the key. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love every day. He shows you the lifestyle of even loving, loving your enemies, loving your, it's a lifestyle. So you can't just say, I'm, I'm a good person. We all have sin, the Bible says. We all have sin and come short to the glory of God. But it's in your learning process. The Bible also says, shall you continue in sin that grace may abide? No. You have to continue to learn how to live and be that citizen of heaven that God has for us. To, you know, mm -hmm. to yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, and for me... I mean, in terms of trying to get, the, get my head around the language is because I think for so many of us, um, when, we hear, when we first hear slavery language, it, it turns us off to hearing what God has to say for us, I think. So that's where I try to get at, open it up a little bit just to try to, to, try to open my own heart to it so I'm not just focused on that slavery language so I can, uh, can understand it a bit more, too. So, no, thank you for that. That was beautiful. It was beautiful. So, so I do want to thank, I mean, because it is... It is um, it is, in many ways, you know, ha being redeemed by Christ. You know that has that that has happened. That that the last word for us is that we have been redeemed. That we that we that we have been saved. That our sin has been we've been set free from that sinful nature. That we can live into this new way of life. That Christ that Paul and that Christ invites us into. Um, but there is a sense, there is a sense that in choosing to follow the way of righteousness, that's a daily choice. Maybe a minute by minute choice. It's just like if you, if, if you, you get up and, and, and you stand across from somebody and, and they say, will you, you, will you love, honor, and cherish this person for the rest of your life so help you God? And you say, I do. That's a daily choice, let me tell you. 
For any of you who have been married more than five minutes, you know, that is a daily, a daily choice. You've got to roll over in bed. You've got to look at that. You've got to look at that person next to you and go, I choose this day to love you, to honor you and cherish you. And I, and I believe that's the same way in our faith that we, we say, God, I know you choose each day to love me and cherish me. I know you gave your son for us and you gave your son for me. And, but I choose this day to seek to do the things of your kingdom. And we're not always going to get it right. We're going to miss the mark sometimes. So I hope that, that as you thought about this, that, that a little bit of, of your understanding of sin has been, has been transformed. Because that's, that's what we're talking about. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, um, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so may you be set free from whatever it is that might enslave you, that might keep you from doing the things that you know God would call you to do for God's shalom in the world. May your mind always be being transformed so that you might know what is God's will and God's promise. For you and for all people. Amen.